Open your Bibles now. We're, we're going to the book of Joshua. So open your Bibles to the first chapter. Joshua chapter number one is where we're going to be. Joshua chapter number one. And we're going to read a handful of verses and then get right into this. All right. Joshua chapter number one, verse one. Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. And now therefore arise and go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and under the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong and of a good courage, for unto thee, uh, unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Let's pray. Father, help us now. Give us the things, dear God, we have need of. Open this book to us, Lord. And uh, we'll be careful to give you the praise and the honor and the glory for all of it. In the name of Jesus, we ask these things. Amen. 24 chapters, 658 verses, 18,858 words. In case you're a nerd and like those type of things, there it is. So when we closed out the book of Deuteronomy in our last study, we closed it out with this point, be thankful for what you have because you won't always have it. You know the saying, you, you, you don't miss the water till the well runs dry. Well, Moses, the servant of God in chapter 34, Deuteronomy verse 5, so Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord, verse 8, and the children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days, and so the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And so the children of Israel, who weren't particularly thankful for Moses, they, they railed against him. They said he had assumed too much upon himself. They, they were slanderers, backbiters, griping, complainers. They wanted to go back into slavery because it was better in slavery than it was where Moses had brought them. They accused him of commandeering their future and wrecking it, and they weren't thankful for Moses at all. In fact, they made his life miserable. But now that he's gone, they weep. They're weeping for him. They're crying. They're missing, they're missing the man that had led them. And so the events that, that bring us to the book of Joshua and 
uh, and the man that served as Moses' assistants, and, and he was one of the two spies, remember, along with Caleb that brought back the good report uh, in contrast to the evil report that the other spies brought. Um, uh, he, he, was, he was an encourager. Now, the entire nation, including Joshua, wept for 30 days because their iconic leader was gone. And remember that it was Moses that led him across the Red Sea, out of Egypt and across the Red Sea. It was Moses that confronted Pharaoh and demanded their release. It was Moses that, that had stood with them and led them through the wilderness. And he's the only leader that they had ever known uh, after their departure from Egypt. And now all of a sudden he's gone. And so it was an emotional time, uh, deeply, deeply penetrating emotional time in their life as a nation. And everyone was wondering what the future held. Moses, look, we've, we've listened to Moses. Moses has led us. What's Moses going to say about this? What is, you know, what's Moses going to do when he comes off the mount? It was Moses that took care of things after Aaron allowed the, the golden calf to be. It was Moses. It was Moses that, that always, it was when God was going to destroy the nation of Israel, it was Moses that got on his knees before God and said, if you're going to destroy them, destroy me. Blot my name out. If you're going to take them out, blot my name out. I, look, you call me to lead them, and, and if you're going to wipe Israel out, take my name out of the book. That was Moses. I mean, that's a leader. That's a man who lays his own life on the line for his people, and, and, and now suddenly he's gone, and they're wondering, okay, what now? And that's a valid, that's a valid question. And by the way, by the way, his impact continues long after his death. Because in the book of Joshua, uh, in the book of Joshua, Moses is mentioned 57 times. And so after he, he being dead yet speaketh. And so Moses is, and by the way, he was never spoken of in a derogatory manner. One of the most distasteful things in the world to anybody that has ever held leadership is for a new leader to come in and berate the old one, thereby tearing him down, trying to make themselves elevated. Just, just stand on your own two feet. And, and um, the thing I find in Joshua is Joshua had nothing but praise about Moses and gratitude for what he had done, and I'm thankful for that. Now, we're going to move through this because there's some lessons for us. All right, we're doing an overview of the book, so we're going to pick up some lessons from this book that we can learn. And I think that you can see now Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Okay, you can see how they're all linked together. And now all of a sudden, we're, we're here in, in chapter 34 of Deuteronomy and chapter 1 of of uh, Joshua, and they are indelibly linked together by the death of the most iconic leader that Israel ever had, maybe with the exception of David, but they were eye to eye. And so they're, these two books, they're, they're every one of them all the way down, and then Deuteronomy and Joshua are coupled together by the death of this great man. So let me say the first lesson that we learn from the book of Joshua is that the workman dies 
but the work continues. And I, I think that's essential for us to understand. Uh, how does God deal... I want you to think about this, okay? Just think about what we just read. How does God deal with this incredibly emotional, life-changing event that so shakes His people to their very core that they weep for 30 days? You know what God does? He lets them weep. And then He says this. Listen to this statement. Moses, my servant, is dead. I mean, that's, that's, just, that's just a factual statement. Moses, my servant, is dead. Boy, I, I remember sitting as a young boy and listening to Lester Roloff preach. My soul, what a preacher. What an amazing servant of God. But Lester Roloff's dead. He went down in a tragic plane accident and... and and was taken from us. I remember sitting in my office and hearing that Lester Roloff had died. Just as a young preacher, I put my head in my hands and, and, and sat in my office and wept because we needed him. I felt like we needed him and suddenly he's gone. I've heard R.G. Lee preach what may be the greatest message of our generation, Payday Someday. If you've never heard that message, it's an... It's an astounding message. You ought to hear it. I've heard R.G. Lee preach Payday Sunday. I have, I, have, I have sat and listened to J. Harold Smith, the old silverhead preacher, preach God's three deadlines. And look, I saw 40 people walk the aisle and trust Christ as their Savior that night. Unbelievable. I've stood in, in the Jacksonville uh, Civic Center and, and listened to Jack Van Epi preach in his early years when altars were packed. I've heard B.R. Lakin stand and old, old preacher that used to ride uh, mule backs up through the mountains of West Virginia and preach and circuit riding preacher in different churches. I've, I've, I've sat and listened to G.B. Vick lecture and, and heard him preach. I've heard Curtis Hudson preach. I've Talked with Curtis Hudson personally. I've got letters in my files today that Curtis Hudson sent me. I've, I've, I've sat across the table and eaten with Jack Isles. And I'm just saying that, that, that I've had the joy of, of knowing and, and being connected with some iconic figures in the history of, of, of our movement. But can I just tell you they're all dead. They're all dead. The servant dies but the work of God continues. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, God's not being cold and calculated. It's not like God said, hey, guys, get over it. No, no, he let him weep for 30 days. So this isn't a cold, calculated statement. He's not detached from the emotions and the pain of his people. The reality uh, is that he, he, he obviously knows what's happened, but what he's, what he's showing us here is that he's not taken back by it. Okay? God didn't weep for 30 days. God's not wondering what the future holds. God's not questioning what next. God's not, God's not, uh, God's not looking at things and saying, I, 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 don't, I, I don't know. If I don't have Moses, who do I have? No, no. It's not about Moses. It's about God. And what this shows us is that the events that shake us to our core don't rattle God at all. God is sovereign. God is ne Listen, God's never lost the handle. God's never out of control. There's never a time 
There's never a time when God looks down and is stunned. Nothing ever occurs to God. God knows everything. There's nothing that God ever learns. Nobody teaches God anything. The reality of the matter is that, is that though Moses is no longer on the scene, that's not even a speed bump to God. That's not a blip on the radar. God's not, God's not shaken. We are. They were. But God's not shaken whatsoever. And, and I, I, I think if, if you look, look at when God talks to his opening statement to Joshua, Joshua was standing at the greatest challenge of his entire life. And God says to him in verse number two of chapter one, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise and go over Jordan. And so what God is saying to Joshua, look, the man of God has died, but the work hasn't died. Long after Dean Herring is gone, the work of God will still be going on. And, and the thing that, that my heart's desire is, is that the things that I give my life to will not be, will not be temporary. And the, it's things that won't be wasted. I gathered a group of our, our, our guys together, our staff and, and a couple of other pastors that work with us in camp. And I, I said to them uh, with emotion that there will be a day when I will be dead and gone. And, and I, don't want, I don't want the camp ministry that we pioneered to fall by the wayside. Stay with the stuff. It's not about the servant. The servant dies. The workman dies. But the work goes on. And we are simply privileged to serve. It's all about him. It's not about us. If it is about us, it will fall apart. If it is about us, it won't last the lifespan of a man. It's about God. And what we do here, what we build here, ought to be for God and, and to God's glory. So the workman dies, but the work continues. The second thing I see is that, is that God sends encouragement when we are afraid. God sends encouragement. You ever face something, you ever face something that, that was bigger than you are? Something that that, that, that quite honestly took your breath away? Have you, ever, have you ever faced a time in your life that you were left with a sick feeling down in the pit of your stomach because you knew that you didn't have what it, take, uh, what, what it would take to handle this and, and conquer this? Something that made you afraid? Well, notice in verse number 6, be strong and of good courage. Notice verse number 7, only be thou strong and very courageous. Notice verse number 9, Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Now look at me. Look at me. Why would God say to Joshua on three different occasions, don't be afraid, be strong, be courageous, come on, be, be courageous. Why would God send encouragement to be courageous and to fear not to a man that wasn't afraid. I'll tell you exactly why he sent it, because Joshua was afraid. That's why God had to encourage him in his fear. You see, courage isn't the absence of fear. If there's no fear, there's no need for courage. Courage is made necessary when fear is on the premises. And so if you're afraid, that's when courage has to kick in and get you beyond your fear. So here's Joshua standing there looking at something that, that's bigger than he is. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden now he, it's on his shoulders. And I'm sure he felt like the weight of the world was placed there all of a sudden at the death of Moses. The 30 days of mourning is now over. So God comes to Joshua and says, okay, okay, now, 
Now, here's what we've got to do, Joshua. We've mourned, and, and, and I know this is a hard time, but listen to me, son. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. Be encouraged. And, and let's, let's move forward because the work, the work does not die with the workman. And every eye was now upon him as he assumed a task that was bigger than he is. Notice the phrase in verse 9, Have not I commanded thee? So now I want you to stay with me for a moment. I want you to think about this. So how then, how then can we be of good courage and avoid being dismayed? Okay, how, how does that happen? How, how can we be strong? How can we have good courage? How can we avoid being afraid and dismayed? Here's the statement. Have not I commanded thee? So what we have to do is we have to go back and find the commandments that he's referring to. So he gives, he gives some, some ideas here, and then he says, haven't I said that? Okay, because I said that, well, look at those. Don't be afraid. Be strong. Be courageous. Don't be dismayed. And so let's go back and look at exactly what he's referring to. First thing is, if, if, we're, going to, if we're going to have good courage and not be afraid, we have to believe the promises of God. All right, so look in verse number 3 of chapter 1. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said to Moses, from the wilderness in this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea, toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. There shall not be any man able to stand before thee all thy days. As I was with Moses, so will I be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. You know what God's saying to him in that verse? I don't play favorites. Now, Joshua, look at me. You know I've been with Moses. You were serving Moses. You know, you saw, you were there, you were a witness of what I've done to support and stand by Moses. I don't play favorites. Exactly as what I did for Moses, that's exactly what I'll do for you. I'm not playing favorites. Verse number uh, 6, Be strong and of good courage, for unto this people thou shalt divide for inheritance of the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. So God is saying to him simply this, look, listen, I'm going to be with you just like I was with Moses. And wait a minute, here's my promise. Nobody will be able to stand before you. Who said that, God? I want to make you a promise. You're going to divide this land up to the people. That's a promise from God. Okay, so, so when he says to him, be strong, don't be dismayed, don't be afraid, be courageous because I've commanded you. The first thing he's saying to him is trust me. And the question that, 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 that comes down to us is simply this. Uh, it, it's, it's, does God keep His promises? Can you trust God when things look dim? And there's the question. Every one of us have to answer that. Every one of us have to face that. Can you trust God when, quite frankly, it don't look like God's coming through? When things get really dim, can you trust Him? Can you trust his heart even when you can't trace his hand? Psalm 56, verse 3. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. That's a great verse. At what time I'm afraid, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I can't deny that I'm afraid, but in my fear, I'm going to trust in you, God. 
that you'll get me through. So number one, number one, if, if we're going to be courageous and strong and not buckle to fear and, and being dismayed or discouraged, we have to believe the promises of God. Number two, we have to obey His commandments. Look with me, if you will, look with me, if you will, in verse number seven, okay? Only be thou strong and very courageous, watch, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses thy servant commanded thee. Okay, so there's a, man, there's a, there's a great, he's saying this, look, if you want to be courageous, obey me. Because obeying me lets you know that you're in line with me, okay? You're, 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 you're doing what you're supposed to do. You're not off doing your own thing, asking me to bail you out of the mess you've gotten yourself in. You obey me. And, 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 and through that obedience comes a confidence that I'm right with God. I'm where God wants me to be. I'm in obedience to God. And therefore, therefore, God is going to remove the fear and the things from my life that can so easily sidetrack. I want to just tell you, we need to get serious about our walk with God. We need to get serious about, about this idea of obeying Him. Everybody wants the blessings of God, but we're not willing to take the... We want the destination, but we're not willing to take the journey to get us there. Everybody wants God's blessings, but, but, but they're prerequisites uh, to obtaining those blessings. Jesus Himself said in the book of Luke in chapter number 6, verse 46, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? So he's pointing out a hypocrisy. We're saying, Lord, Lord, yeah, I know the Lord. You know the Lord. Yeah, I love the Lord. Yeah. But you're not obeying. So there has to be obedience uh, in there if, if we're going to overcome the fear. Now, let me throw in something that I think is really important for us. Look at verse 7 again. Okay. Um, so you observe to do all according to all the law which Moses thy servant hath commanded thee. Verse number 7. Watch this. Turn not from it to what hand? Or to the? Okay. So here's our problem. Our problem is we lean toward one hand or the other. Okay, so we got, we got right hand and we got left hand. Now, if you want to use that conservative and liberal, we're right-handers, okay? All right, so we, we, we tend to say, okay, well, that, 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 you know, he's a little extreme, but he's a right-hander. And so we, we, he's 30 yards off center, but because he's 30 yards off toward our direction, we let it slide. But oh, my soul. You let somebody get 30 yards off to the left, and we're nailing them as being horrendous people. Can I tell you this? Listen to me. My dad used to tell me every time I left his house, he'd say this to me, keep it between the ditches. You know what he's saying? Son, there's a ditch on both sides of the road. Keep the car in the middle. And here's the funny thing about Christianity is that people in the ditch over here are screaming at people in the ditch over there and people in the ditch over here are pointing to them and saying, y'all are in a ditch when they're in a ditch themselves. Both are in a ditch. Listen to me. Listen, whether you minimize or maximize, when you go to the extreme, you're, you're, you don't have balance in your life. You're missing the balance of the Christian life. And spirit-led, spirit-filled people have balance. They're not giving to, given to the flesh and to the rabid extremes of the flesh. That's not how Jesus lived. And the reality of, of the matter is both are equally off course. 
And so that's, that's an important point. He said, listen, obey and don't turn right or left. Just, just, could you just stay? Could you just stay balanced? People have pet doctrines and pet peeves and pet standards and pet ideas. And we, we're, so, we're so fleshly that we run one direction or the other. And Jesus said, don't turn to the right or to the left. Third thing, if we're going to do without uh, fear in our life, we have to meditate on His Word. Notice verse number 8. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. So that just means simply what B.R. Lakin used to say, wallow in the Word. It, it means that it's in the Word. That's where we discover His promises and His commandments that, that, that keep us moving in the right direction. It's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, and it brings courage in times we're afraid. Listen, there's been times in my life I've been afraid. You know the thing that pulled me out of it was meditating on this book. I'll tell you the story. When I went home from cancer, with cancer, I'm going to tell you something. It got pretty gloomy in my house for a while, just not with everybody else, but with me. And I'm sitting there, man, I'm telling you, the one thing I did every day is I read the book. I was scared. Just being honest, I was afraid. I was scared. You know, I did. I read this book. And as I read the book, the book began to dissipate the fear and, and give me the courage that I needed. Meditate. I walked down an aisle as a young teenage boy and surrendered my life to preach. Ray Turner, my youth pastor, knelt at an altar with me and we knelt down there and he opened up Joshua chapter 1 and verse number 8 and 9 and he read those to me and he just said, Dean, if God's called you to preach, if you'll just live by these two verses, uh, you'll do okay. And he read me Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, and verse number 9. Those have been very powerful verses in my life ever since. And so it's important that God sends us encouragement in our time of fear. Okay, look at me. Listen to me. Listen to me. When a storm blows up in your life, don't turn your back to the storm. Look for Him in the storm. Because just like on the Sea of Galilee, that's where you'll find Him. You won't find Him by tucking tail and running. You won't find Him by cowering and walking away from your faith. If you want to find Christ in the storm, He will come treading down the waves. You may have to strain your eyes at first, but if you'll keep looking at the storm, you will see Jesus in your storm. He will come to you in your burning, fiery furnace. He will come to you in your stormy, raging sea. That's where you'll find Him, is in the middle of your troubles because He's there. He's there with you. Number three, the third lesson, and I love this, and that is lesson number three, God has gone before you. God has gone before you. Now, we'll go to chapter three. So you, you won't, just go ahead and turn your Bible there. Go, jump over to chapter three. And I want to say while we get into this chapter that all of this was so unnecessary. Why, why, why is it unnecessary? Because 40 years ago, a group of people stood on the bank of the Jordan River and they were to cross the Jordan, go into the land, and take the, take the promises of God as their own. 
But griping, complaining, stiff-necked, hard-hearted, obstinate, unthankful people turned their back on the very thing that God had promised them and, and went back into a wilderness. And for 40 long years, they, they wandered in that wilderness. Now, now, had they crossed Jordan, their children wouldn't be facing the battles that they're going to have to face once they cross that Jordan. Can I say this to you? You better be careful what you hand down to your child, to your children. You better be careful. You better think about it. You better be careful. Because your children, your children will face the giants that, that you are unwilling to face. Now, I'm just going to be real blunt, real honest. Okay. Their parents were a generation of cowards that could not cross Jordan could not claim promises, could not fight giants. They built no houses. They cleared no land. They claimed nothing that God had promised them. And so in the wilderness for 40 long years, a generation of cowards died. Now, where we're at right now, now, now their kids are standing there thinking to themselves, okay, i got to fight the giants, claim the land, build the houses, plant the vineyards, plow the fields that my mom and dad should have. But because they didn't do it, now I've got to stake a place out and, 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 and do different than, than they did. Notice with me in verse number 4, because it's one of the most unnerving things, all right? For ye have not passed this way heretofore. Notice that phrase there. What, what is, well, what's so unnerving about that? It's the unknown. He, he's, saying, he's saying to them here, look, listen, listen. You, you've never been, you're, you're fixing to go somewhere you've never been. You had not passed this way before. This is, new, this is new ground. You're not familiar with this. This is uncharted territory. Joshua chapter 3, verse number 4. Forty years after their parents turned back, they're about to walk a path they've never walked before. But now listen to this. God is already there. He's gone before them. Look with me in verse number 11. Okay? I love verse number 11. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord God, or, or the Lord of all the earth, passeth over before you into Jordan. Now watch me. Listen. What was the ark of the covenant? It was, it was the symbolic presence of, it was, it was the symbolic uh, of the presence of God. And so remember, remember when the Philistines took the ark? Well, why was that so unbelievable? You know, Eli fell over, broke his neck, and died, and Hophanine Phinehas, you know, the whole story. That was a mess. Why was that? Well, it's because it represented the, the, the promise of God. Remember the Philistines, what happened to them? They broke out in boils. I mean, son, it was horrible. Emeralds, it was, it was, it was un so much so that they said, no, no, we don't want anything to do with that. Send it back. Why? Because it represented the presence of God. It wasn't God, but it represented the presence of God. So the Ark of the Covenant representing the presence of God, what does God say? Here's what God said. I want you to take the Ark over first. What, is that, what does that symbolize for us? He has gone before us. Oh, yeah, we're going into a land where we've never been. But he's, he's, he's been there before us. We're crossing a Jordan. Yeah, but he's crossing it before us. In fact, in fact look with me. Would you, would, you, would you look with me in chapter 4? 
Jump over to chapter 4. In verse number 23, watch this. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you until we passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up from before us until we were gone over. So the principle, the principle that is being given us here is that whatever famil unfamiliar path you find yourself on, whatever uncertain territory uh, that you've been called to enter, know this, know that God is already there. Look at me, listen to me. He's there in your tomorrows. He's down the path that's dark. He's around the corner that you can't see beyond. He's in the brokenness. You got surgery, God's there. You, get, you got a doctor's appointment that scares you, God's there. You got heartache, God's there. You, 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 got, you got a situation that you're not sure you can handle, God's there. He's, he's, in, he's in your tomorrows. He is there before you ever arrive. God is there. He knows what's going to happen and he's going to get you through it. He's gone before you. That's such a blessing to my life and such an encouragement. The fourth lesson that I find here is, is this. Every Christian, every, every Christian life should have a crossing and a memorial. I'm going to explain that to you, but let me repeat it again. Every Christian life should have a crossing and a a memorial. Look with me in chapter 4 again, and look with me at verse number 7. So the children of Israel have crossed over, they're crossing over Jordan. Here's what's said. I want you to take these stones, I want you to take some stones, and I want you to stack them up. And then he says in verse number 7, Then shall ye answer them, when somebody asks you, what do these stones mean? That the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, when it passed over Jordan, the waters of Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. So here they come to, here they come to, here they come to Jordan, and, and when the toe of the, the priest touched the water, the water stood up on both sides. And you know what? Just like the Red Sea, and by the way, this was at the worst time to cross the Jordan of the entire time of the year. Jordan was at the swelling of Jordan. You've read that phrase in your Bible. And what shall we do in the swelling of Jordan? Well, the Jordan was swollen. It was over its banks. And the priests walk up to it, and, 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 and as they step down, boom, boom, the waters stand up on both sides, and they take the ark of God over on dry land, and the children of Israel cross over on dry land. And God said to them, get stones, build, build a stack of stones here. When, any, when your children ask you, what, hey, what, what do those stones mean? You remind them of the crossing. And you tell them this place, these stones, they are a memorial to remind us of what God did that day. Now let me say this to you. The promised land, you ever heard the song, uh, we won't, you won't have to cross Jordan alone. <laughs> Hallelujah. You know, okay, wait a minute. Wait a minute. That, Jordan isn't heaven. They sing that song like, you, you won't have to cross Jordan alone. The angels are going, no, 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 no. No, Jordan's not heaven. Let me tell you why. Because you don't have to fight giants in heaven. Okay. Okay. There's no pagan idol worship in heaven. Okay. Heaven is a place prepared for us. You don't have to clear fields. 
You don't have to build houses. It's all Jesus has taken care of that for us. What Jordan is symbolic of is spiritual growth, the abundant life. It's, it's, listen, listen to me. Here's, here's, what, here's, what, here's what Jordan, here's what the promised land represents. The, the promised land represents leaving the old wilderness life behind and entering into spiritual maturity. I'm not going to wander in the wilderness anymore. I'm crossing over from the self-life over Jordan into the Christ-centric life, and I'm going to live for Jesus now in a way that I didn't live for Him back then. Now here's my point. You have to have that crossing. you got to have it. March 20th, 1973. I stood in a church pew in the old Oval Auditorium at 4700 Skidaway Road, Savannah, Georgia. My home church, Bible Baptist. Sitting next to me was Buddy Thigpen, who's our missionary now. We're going to take an offering up for on Sunday, ministering in Russia. And by the way, he's got a gathering of like 70-something people, Ukrainians, that he's helping right now. I've got pictures. I'll, I'll try to have those maybe ready for Sunday. It's amazing what God is using him to do there. Unbelievable. I, I, because, I, so, because I know him. And, and, I mean, he played shortstop. I played third and pitched. He, he's right next to me. Tommy Foskey that pastors at Corinth Baptist Church in Stone Mountain was right there. We three guys in the youth department are there. And that night, March 20, 1973, called Hatch Revival. He preached his life story on the Andrew Crusade. I walked down the aisle and surrendered my life to preach the gospel after white-knuckling the pew in front of me. And I want to just tell you, that was a crossing for me. And any time I'm in Savannah, I always ride by 4700 Skidaway Road and I look at the oval front of that church. And I remember a kid whose life was changed there that night. That's, that's a memorial for me. That place is a memorial. Sometimes I go to Oklahoma City for the Heartland meetings and, and to be a part of the college things that they got going. I love that place and I'm thankful for them. Oftentimes I'll be riding down the freeway and right over here is Baptist Hospital. And that's where, that's where my cancer was discovered. That's where my cancer was removed. And I'm going to be quite honest with you. I can't ride past that place without realizing that was a crossing in my life. That's when I had to face something that I never dreamed I would face, that I had never faced before. And yet, and I want to just say this, and yet I learned something about God within the walls of that hospital that I had never learned about him before. And when I see Baptist Hospital in Oklahoma City, that's a memorial for me. Now, it may be a rock you pick up from someplace where you've prayed and made a decision. You, that's, some, that's your memorial. You got it set on your, on your mantel plate. I don't know. It may be somewhere as a kid that you were baptized and at that point you surrendered your life fully. I don't know what it is, but every Christian life should have a crossing there has to be a time when you leave the wilderness behind you and you become filled with your intent of serving God rather than serving self. Every life has to have a crossing and has to have a memorial. And I pray that yours does. Fifth thing, fifth thing, we get to choose our menu. 
Okay? Look in chapter 5. Would you do that? Chapter 5, all right? Where's the wilderness? It's behind them. Where are they at now? Well, they're in the promised land. Chapter 5, verse 12. And the manna ceased. Got to circle that. And the manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten of the old corn of the land. Neither had the children of Israel manna anymore, but they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. Now, manna was a... Manna was like a sweet wafer that God sent down. Um, I can't prove this, but I think it's probably peanut butter flavored uh, simply because God gave it. And, and, and it was a, God supplied it for the children of Israel. Listen to me. This is important. Why did He give it to them? For their journey. When their food ran out, when their food ran out, on their journey from Egypt to the promised land, it was given to them to feed them. It was never intended to be permanent food for them. It was journey food to bring them to the land. It was flowing with milk and honey and all the fruits and everything were there. But they turned around and went back into the wilderness. And so you know what they ate for 40 years? Here's the deal. They went to a restaurant, opened it up. Okay, what's, what's on the menu today? Manna. Tuesday, manna. Wednesday, manna. Thursday, manna. Every day, all day, manna. They ate the same old, same old, same old, same thing every day. 40 years. And I know there was quail and some of that involved, but I'm just simply saying, dude, there wasn't a lot of imagination in it because there, 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 was, there was no passion in what they were doing, wandering in circles in, in the wilderness. And, and can I just say this to you? When you're in the wilderness, you get the same thing all day, every day, bland as stinking can be. When you're in the wilderness, your life is bland. When you're in the wilderness, the menu's the same. When you're in the wilderness, there is no changes. When you're in the wilderness, hey, listen, just buckle down. You're getting the same thing you got yesterday, and you'll get the same thing tomorrow you got today. That's all the wilderness gives you. Same old, same old. Never changes. And so now, men are not ever being intended to be a permanent food source, God had the fruit of the land waiting for them. And, and this generation eats it, and, and the manna ceased. The purpose of the manna is gone. And now they get to eat of the fruit of the land. Kent Hogan is in Israel, and he sent me a text and, and asked me, you know, about some things He's, uh, in, in some different areas. And this is what I said to him. I said, have you been to the fruit stand in Jericho. I wish Luke was here. Have, 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 you been to, Chad, Chad, no. have you been to the fruit stand in Jericho? And he said, haven't been there. I said, son, listen to me. In the entire universe, there's nothing close. I mean, I'm, and I'm, I'm serious. I mean, nothing close. There's never been an orange, never been a grapefruit, Never has there ever been a tangerine 
they literally drip with flavor. It's the best, it's the best fruit in the entire world. Well, when I think about that, I, I think about these people that ate the same bland diet and, 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 and they died. And now these people, what did they do? They had a crossing and they had a memorial. And now, you know what? Things are tasting pretty good for them right now. They're like, son, we didn't know what, what we were missing. This is awesome. This is great food. Psalm 34, verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in Him. Can I tell you this? When somebody says to me, you know what, I just don't get much out of my Christian life. Boy, church is just really dull. Church is really boring to me. I, I, just, I read my Bible, I don't get anything out of it. Can I, you know what that tells me? You've never had a crossing and you don't have a memorial. Because when you cross the Jordan and you surrender your life and you say bye-bye to the self-life of the wilderness, I'm going to tell you something. Everything's going to taste sweeter. Everything's going to be better. Life itself will be so filled with joy. Last of all, and I'm going to close with this one, and that is that the enemy waits for you to cross over. So here's the deal. We cross over, we get fruit. <laughs> Man, this is going to be great. I can't wait. Land of promise. We get our own house. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, but it's not just the fruit stand that's waiting on you. It's people that's trying to keep you from the fruit stand. You see, the, the, the reality, no, chapter 11, just jump to chapter 11 real quick. I'm going to sum, I'm going to sum, up, sum, I'm going to sum up the rest of the book for you. Chapter 11, verse 18, watch this. Joshua made war a long time with all those kings. Boy, that's a simple verse, but boy, does it say a lot. You know what the rest of the book is about? It's not eating fruit. It's fighting enemies. It's facing opponents. It's clearing the land of giants. It's battle after battle after battle after battle. And, and, and if you contrast the one side of Jordan and the other side of Jordan, the contrast is simply this. After 40 years in the wilderness, they didn't have one single acre to show for it. After 40 years in the wilderness, they hadn't built a single house, much less a city. After 40 years in the wilderness, all they had ever done was wander in circles. But once they had the crossing... And once they built the memorial, now all of a sudden they're looking for permanency. Now they were to establish something so they could settle down. Now I want to look, look at me. Listen, I'm just say this. And hey, when you cross Jordan, you're not getting a free pass. You're getting a battle with giants. It ain't going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. When you cross Jordan and say, okay, I'm saying goodbye to the self-life, and here I am, I'm going to live on the promises of God. Well, let me just tell you, there's a whole land full of people, enemies, opponents, that are, that, that are going to try to keep you from living the happy life, the spirit-filled life, and from claiming the promises of God. Paul wrote to his young son, uh, uh, Timothy, in the first letter, chapter 1, verse 18, This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went on before thee, that thou mightest by them war a good warfare. We're in a war. 
He wrote to him in the second letter, chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, Now therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the, uh, with the uh, affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. So, so he writes to his son in two letters and he says, You're in a war, boy. Hey, son, you're in a war. Listen to me. Don't get messed up. Don't get entangled in this world. Look, no, no. Don't, don't get so wrapped up in this world that you forget you've been called to be a good soldier and, and you're responsible to the one that called you and enlisted you. You are in a war. If there's anything that Christian people don't want today, it's to have to endure rather than enjoy. They want softness rather than hardness. They want to be a spectator rather than a soldier. They're not willing to put it all on the line. And I'm going to tell you, I'm not trying to be negative. I'm just going to be honest with you. If Jesus Christ doesn't return, we're going to have to endure far more things than wearing a mask. We're going to play for keeps in the future. We're going to be playing for keeps. Boy, I want to tell you something. I sit around and my grandkids come running up to me and climb on my lap. And I beg God, dear God, would you let me be an influence in their life? Because there's going to come a time when those kids are going to face things that I... That, that, that I I've never faced. I'm facing things my, my pop-up didn't ever see. My grandkids, they're going to know one day when they're grown men my age, my papa never had to have this happen. I'm going to tell you something. Listen, we better get out of the wilderness. We better have our crossing. We better build our memorial and say, I'm all in. I'm all in on the right side of Jordan. Let's bow our heads, could we? Dear God, in Jesus' name, I ask for help. Conviction power. Holy Spirit conviction on our lives. God, make us who we should be. Help us to let go of the past life. Help us, dear God, to... Help us, dear God, I pray, to walk away from the wilderness behind us and to go forward for your glory and your honor. We love you, Lord. We love you. We thank you for who you are. Thank you that you've gone before us. I've experienced that in my life. When I've had to walk down roads I never dreamed I would walk, you were there before I was. And I thank you for that truth. Help us to trust you. Help us to have our crossing. Help us to, help us to build our memorials. Help us to enjoy the fruit. I pray that manna would cease in our lives. In the name of Jesus, I ask these things. Amen.